0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Four Four Three Security Simplified. I'm your host Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is Corey, the cryptocurrency superfan knockrainer. Bye bye bye. Please make sure you take all your financial advice from Corey. <laughs> uh, on today's episode, we will be discussing yet another cryptocurrency hack of over hundred million dollars worth of stolen coin. Uh, bye bye bye. It's totally safe, now. An FBI raid of a a legacy financial institution. Let's call it that. Uh, And then an update from a massive ransomware organization with one of their latest victims. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and... I don't even know. Is there any verb associated with cryptocurrency? I don't think so. Let's just go on in.
1: To the moon? How do you turn to the moon? To the moon into a verb. What's a verb for going to space? Spacing? <laughs>
0: rocket. Let's rocket on in. So let's start today with a news update from a threat analyst i guess originating from a threat analyst from emisoft Uh, you might remember that company name as the organization that helped kaseya investigate and ultimately decrypt the uh, our evil ransomware incident earlier this year Um, pretty big player in some forms of security especially around the ransomware space and so yeah, understand. if I recall right, they, they've
1: made a lot of, too, in the past, they started their business making PDF and zip decryptors, both things you can encrypt, but if you wanted to brute force them because you lost your password, not that you'd be trying to hack them, uh, they, they <laughs> used to make tools that would help you decrypt, uh, or, or at least brute force password, protected zip and PDF files, too, I believe.
0: That is where I remembered them from. I like This whole time, I've been trying to remember why Emisoft tickled a part of my brain the first time we talked about him earlier this year, and that must have been it. Um, so as like you might expect from an organization that follows ransomware and encryption, their analysts follow the, the blogs of various uh, ransomware organizations where they tend to post their trophies. Um, I think we've talked about it a few times these days with some of these double extortion ransomware attacks. Not only do they encrypt your stuff, but they steal some of it or all of it and then threaten to disclose it if you don't pay the ransom. And they typically prove that they've stolen it by posting a couple carefully chosen files up on their blog, along with your company name, as kind of a preemptive name and shame uh, to prove that they're serious. And so one of the threat analysts at Emisoft uh, this last week reported that the Grief ransomware gang, who's kind of the uh, the next evolution of Evil Corp, a group that's been around for quite some time. Uh, appears to have actually up... i think it's just that they changed their name from evil corp to this but i always thought evil corp was uh, i assume they're making a play
1: on mr robot yeah. there <laughs> uh
0: they appear to have put up a blog post indicating they successfully hit the national rifle association with a double extortion ransomware attack um so our evil mentioned they've been or not our evil evil corp the other evil one I mean, they're all evil so whatever um now grief <laughs> yeah Grief, they've been around for quite some time to the point where the U.S. Department of Treasury actually sanctioned them and a bunch of individual members they identified back in 2019 in response to their use of the Drydex malware to steal more than $100 million from victims. Uh, But in the blog post, Grief shared several files they allegedly stole from the NRA, um, threatened to release more if their extortion demands weren't met. Uh, They had some what appeared to be minutes from a recent NRA board meeting, as well as information related to grants, including a list of grant recipients. And actually, we were able to find their blog post too and confirm a lot of this looks legitimate for the most part. Uh, Now, the NRA did release a statement. They say NRA does not discuss matters relating to its physical or electronic security. However, The NRA takes extraordinary measures to protect information regarding its members, donors, and operations and is vigilant in doing so. So more of a no comment, which these kinds of no comments definitely lean more towards, yeah, something's going on versus a flat out denial, I suppose. Um, I
1: feel so, although I also feel it's kind of bad news and that I think in this day and age, we expect more transparency from organizations, even if they are researching. Uh, but yeah, it's it's if <laughs> uh, if 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 you w- didn't have an issue, you might be have a reason to say so directly. Not to mention, I guess I something certainly happened because I do think the proof. Some of these sample files are perfectly openable. Doesn't mean it doesn't give us a scope of how locked up NRA really is. It could just be a couple servers, but uh, yeah, it's weird that they're they're not willing to say anything about it. Most people would at least say we're investigating. Not that we don't comment at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like you mentioned, uh, yes, it does look like it was potentially the NRA. But it, I, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the entirety of the NRA was hacked and affected by ransomware. It could literally just be like, I don't know, some subsidiary or field office or something. Or a couple servers,
1: as I yeah. mentioned. It doesn't yep. necessarily have to be a lot.
0: Um, so that said, like the NRA might actually have some trouble if they decide to go the pay the ransom route for this uh, because of that Treasury Department sanctions against Evil Corp and thus grief. Basically, they would have to get permission from the U.S. government before paying any extortion demands because they would technically be sending money to a sanctioned organization. Basically, as part of the sanctions say, all U.S. persons are prohibited from engaging in transactions with them. um, And foreign persons as well may be subject to their own sanctions for knowingly facilitating a significant transaction with them. Basically, you can't even go the route of, oh, our cyber insurance is based out of uh hong kong or something and so that's how we got our files back basically they're kind of in big trouble if they don't have backups to restore from and they're in real big trouble to prevent files from getting leaked potentially i don't think it's bad they can't pay the ransom but they may be in less
1: bad i mean the good news is we have a recent example granted it's the revel group or our evil group that the government does sometimes take over infrastructure and get keys back so so maybe you know maybe they don't they won't can't pay the ransom directly but obviously it's a group grief is a group that the government is following otherwise they wouldn't be part of the sanction so maybe there's a chance that uh, especially with that ransomware convention that our current white house administrative has administrative shin has had with countries there could be a chance that uh, the government will step in.
0: Yep. And this like kind of follows what we were talking about earlier this year with some of those updated rules from FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network from the U.S. government, uh, basically saying if you're hit by ransomware from like North Korea or Iran or somewhere else we have sanctions on, you can't pay the ransom or else you might be held liable. It's like paying terrorists, not just
1: cyber criminals in those cases.
0: Yeah, 100%. So... This is still pretty fresh. Who knows? Maybe by the time the story posts, we'll have some more confirmation on all of it. Um, but I
1: did a check because this technically happened yesterday our time. I guess this would be almost five days ago by the time you listen to this. But even in the past few hours, I've seen a few updates to the story, but NRA has not changed there, too. Long
0: story short, like, I mean, it seems like everyone's getting hit by ransomware these days, and so... Now is a very good time to make sure you've polished off your BCDR plan, I suppose. Uh, That way, you know, when the inevitable happens, you're not completely left out hanging to dry. Just because
1: I do it all the time, if you've you've heard us enough, BCDR stands for Business Continuity Disaster Recovery. Uh, Most of the listeners probably know that, but there's so many acronyms in this industry, it never hurts to remind.
0: Yeah. I feel like, man, that's a very good point. There's far too many acronyms in this industry. God, I see so many every day that are new to me. I wonder if we could do an entire podcast episode where all we said were acronyms.
1: <laughs> I bet it's possible. That that maybe that's your next CTF challenge where some coded message is just a whole bunch of acronyms that they have to figure out what the actual sentence means to anyways, maybe we gave away a
0: CTF challenge. I Work like in it. In progress. Or maybe even our April Foo- Fools podcast next year. That's a good idea, too. Uh, So moving on. uh, Last Tuesday, uh, security journalist Brian Krebs, who Corey, I, many other people follow due to his honestly pretty great investigatory journalism, largely because of all of his contacts across basically all industries. Although I will say, even though he works with a lot of researchers still, so there's experts behind
1: him too, I would give him credit for kind of crossing the barrier between just a smart investigative journalist and the an actual smart computer security person. You know, I, I think over time and through experience and the people he's worked with, he has technical credit all of his own now too. So yeah, percent. Yeah, we, we agree. We,
0: we like Krebs. He gets a lot of scoops, man. He definitely gets. In fact, he's the one that kind of unmasked the, uh, what was it, WannaCry perpetrator, uh, or the, um, no, the Mirai botnet, uh, yes, sure. botnet, the individual behind the Mirai botnet, the college, the college student, <laughs> which I feel like only happened because they targeted Krebs's blog post with such a massive DDoS attack that he got kicked off of Ak- Akamai, and kind of went scorched earth and said, okay, whatever, we're gonna unmask you then. So, yes, very good investigatory journalism and definitely a lot of scoops. And so speaking of scoops, uh, just this last Tuesday, he posted a blog post or I guess an article about an FBI raid on a warehouse for the point of sale device vendor Pax Technology. Uh, So Pax is a pretty widely popular point of sale terminal vendor. I think they had something like 60 million deployments around the world uh, based out of Shenzhen, China. Um, popular around the world though in hundreds of different countries and this last tuesday one of their warehouses was raided uh, where the fbi stated they were executing a court authorized search at the warehouse as part of a federal investigation that included the department of customs and border patrol and the naval crimes investigation service uh, basically after reports from one of pax's customers claiming they didn't get good answers for some suspicious-looking network traffic going from these terminals. Um, So just prior to the raid, uh, I guess a trusted source at the FBI told Krebs that they'd been investigating PAX after a major US payment processor began asking questions about this unusual network activity from the company's payment terminals. And according to the source, at least, the payment processor found that PAX terminals were used both as a malware repository and a command and control location for staging attacks. Um, and I guess this is a multinational investigation with MI5 out of England also assisting with the investigation. And so far, at least two major financial providers in the world have already begun pulling these terminals from their payments.
1: By the way, I I, I I can't tell if you're going to get to it, but the unusual network activity, as I understand it, is essentially sending two big communications, larger than expected commute packets and communications I mean, I mean if you think about it the amount of data a payment terminal is going to send to a payment processor for each transaction really small potatoes it's uh, I you know I'm sure there's some encryption on on data but it's it's going to be a a, a encrypted number for the card a little bit of identifying information and uh, look looks for a yes or no of if there's enough credit to make the transaction. So it's usually going to be, I think the payment processors are probably pretty used to POS machines typically sending a very static profile of network packets for every payment. And from what I read, the, the, the main evidence we know about is that apparently these PACS terminals send bigger data packets than are normal. So it's definitely interesting. I'm I'm, I'm interested in seeing all of this. To me, is still in the allegation phase. I mean, it must be serious for the FBI to get a subpoena and raid. You have to imagine there's hard evidence
0: somewhere. But I'd be interested
1: and that doesn't to really like, see more detail.
0: Like, let's say that it is correct that they have been hosting like malware command and control and delivery. That doesn't necessarily mean that Pax technology was PAX involved it. in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, like we've seen, could be a supply chain attack, could just be a victim whose PAX technology got hijacked. Could be a lot of thing. I mean, what we're saying is it's hard to say at this point. Uh, I guess you, one thing you haven't said, so hopefully I'm not mentioning, is is PAX is claiming this investigation is racially and politically motivated as a Chinese company. Uh, we we live in a world where. <laughs> That's one easy excuse that certain adversarial nation states would likely use, but we also live in a world where that's a possible reality too, I mean, if we face it, right? <laughs> so it's kind of still to the public anyways in the he said, she said, until we see evidence. But again, you you don't get subpoenas typically uh, without some sort of
0: evidence behind them. So it's definitely an interesting story. And I'm probably going to make like our communications director sweat a little by even touching that with the 10 foot pole but like the whole you know you just had a warehouse raided uh and instead of putting out like a statement of uh are you know this was a surprise visit and we're unaware of any blah 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 but we're working with the fbi to resolve this you say this is racially motivated or politically motivated it's like what why okay now that sounds kind of fishy why is that
1: your I, go-to? I, I go so both. I like on one hand, I, I get why like a serious business shouldn't even go there yet, but we also it's a weird situation where we live in this this political climb where it, it it's an easy excuse and it's also uh, could be a legitimate. I mean, we live in a world where. Uh, a lot of people are blaming China for for the coronavirus, which I guess there is still a possibility that the lab's being investigated. But you know, I I think you and I often very point out that China is a adversarial government to many Western nations. They they have a type of government that doesn't necessarily support democracy, and they're they're known to do espionage on their own people and others. So it's very possible that there's some pretty shady things going on. But to a large extent, the Chinese people are normal, lovely people that run commercial businesses and are perfectly... So it's really... We live in this thing where there is a political climate and and statements that go back and forth between China and US that are legitimate when it comes to the governments on both sides. But there's so many great Chinese businesses too. So we don't want to... We, we try to avoid applying any sort of bias to this situation. But it is a weird, you know, I think most PR people would start with the statement of this was a surprise we're investigating and, and not necessarily go on the defensive right away. So I, I agree with I, you.
0: I guess I'm with you. I could see both sides and why they would jump to that. It's just, you know, the the correct PR response to this is yeah, not Yeah, it's bad. a horrible one
1: because it could, be, it, it could be an obvious thing that you do just to because you know about the politically charged situation and it's kind of a smoke screen and uh,
0: but there could be truth to it you never know. <laughs> yeah. Either way though, like let's talk about payment terminal security for a second here cuz this if this does turn out to be like an accurate story, the sources are correct, like this isn't the first time payment terminals have been compromised okay, to post malware uh, inside an organization or out like big ones target, home depot, those are all payment card at least networks or systems that were compromised to steal hundreds of millions of dollars. I would say, so you got to realize that payment terminals
1: are the actual specialized proprietary hardware that's the payment terminal itself, but are often the system they connect to, which is in some cases a cash register, which is really a Windows machine that is taking a USB or serial device that's the payment processor. So the one thing I will say is a lot of the well-known POS-related hacks and POS-related malware actually is malware that sits on a Windows computer. It's not some sort of PLC you know, or, or specialized terminal IoT-based malware that gets on the payment device itself. It's, it's something that sits in the Windows computer that's communicating with that payment device and you know, scrubs memory, scrapes memory to get stuff. So So I will say this one sounds like they believe the terminals themselves are the hijacked part. And while I think that has happened before, I, I don't think that is typical.
0: So I guess like with this access though, you've got, like regardless of where the malware is installed uh, on the host or not, like you still potentially have access to all the payment card information and at least like can use that as a pivot point to hit other things on the network. Like it sounds like, the whole it could alloc- could depend a little bit though right
1: I mean if you in the attack I talked about where there's a ram scraper on a Windows machine some of the mod there there are terminals now that have changed to chip in signature at least and in some cases chip and pin and in those cases they should have end to end encryption where the computer may never see <laughs> what it used to scrape. Now, on the terminal, I guess to me it depends on what access is to the terminal, or is this actually something associated with the software on another device that interacts? So to me, that makes a big difference. If you're on the terminal, where are you? Like, Are, are you some sort of kernel-level access where you do see terminal memory and then can still scrape? credit card data, which I, I presume they must be able to if there's malware in a command and control. I, I presume they're at least getting off with the card. But, I, but it is interesting that a lot of chip and pins are supposed to have end-to-end encryption. So unless you're at a certain level of privilege right on the terminal itself, it's actually harder to get what they used to steal when it was just track data that is temporarily stored in RAM of another device too.
0: Yeah. It feels like this story probably goes of one of two different ways like either this turns out to be a pretty massive or sophisticated compromise or you know i guess willingly participant bear like god forbid uh, or maybe this turns into another one of those what was it bloomberg and the the secret chips hidden in some circuit boards made what was it super of, what super, super micro
1: super micro yeah 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 who's who knows well i guess we'll see
0: yeah, I feel like this is definitely... on the flip
1: side. This has real subpoenas, right? Yeah. I don't think the super micro case has ever had FBI rating people with subpoenas. And again, I, I hope that you still need to display some sort of, if not evidence, a lot of uh, very enticing
0: starts to evidence in order to get a subpoena in the first place. Yeah, it will be interesting to follow this one. Like, subpoenaing and raiding a warehouse is definitely just the start of this. And, you know, as with. Most FBI investigations, they tend to tumble along a little slow. So it probably might be a bit until we get an update on this one. But I'm sure Mr. Krebs will have the scoop again when that day does finally come. Um. So final news story. Last week, a unknown hacker stole $130 million from the distributed financial or DeFi Ethereum cryptocurrency exchange called Cream Finance through a bug oh, in there. You. <laughs> Can we talk cream finance? There, there has to be
1: a story like what the heck does cryptocurrency or why cream? I, I don't know why, but that just seems like a gross name for a a, a cryptocurrency exchange to me.
0: So uh, it's actually an acronym according oh, to their website. Okay. And it is crypto rules everything around me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, uh, whatever. All the power to it. it's okay. This is one of those things with cryptocurrency where like it's just the dumbest, like I mean, it's easy to poke fun at a name. But it's it's
1: it's believers. Obviously, they're believers. They're like going all in. The dumbest it rules name. everything around me.
0: And this company is worth like one point eight billion dollars, or at least manages one point eight billion dollars of finance i guess it's DeFi, so that it technically don't manage anything that
1: made one point million dollars of currency that can be used in very limited transactions so a naysayer like me might say it's a bubble of 1.8 billion dollars we'll Anyways. see uh the so, future will show us the future will show us uh, your, so your your animated nfs nft gif will one day be worth a billion dollars don't worry guys my
0: goodness um Sorry, so Anyways, uh, hackers stole $130 million from their decentralized finance exchange through a bug in their flash loaning system. Uh, so, if you're not a cryptocurrency nerd, there's a lot of words just that just got thrown out there that you're probably like, what the heck does that Wi-Fi mean?
1: Wi-Fi? Flash loans? dream? Yeah. Okay, you explained cream. Now explain the right. I kind of wish you didn't explain cream, but at least the explanation was better than
0: the term led me to believe. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, let's start with like DeFi or distributed financial. So basically, uh, these are. I guess we have to back up even further. So the bulk of these are built on a cryptocurrency platform called Ethereum. Um, And while bit uh, other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, their primary and really only use is to act as like a ledger of a transfer of funds, like send a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin from me to someone else. Some other platforms like Ethereum are actually admittedly quite a bit more robust to the point where you can run entire applications on them uh, because instead of just facilitating monetary transfers on their ledgers and on their blockchains, they can actually like, you can run code. Like you can set up entire games like that Crypto Kitties stupid thing that I think we still have a couple of them named after you, Corey, and they're the little rainbow ones. But um, you can run cute unicorn kitties. Exactly. Uh, but you can take that to not necessarily extreme, but even further, where now you can use these smart contracts, as they're called, which are basically fancy transactions on the blockchain that live on the blockchain that have functions and code and everything Uh, you can use them to build applications, like I said. And some of the popular applications are these distributed financial exchanges where basically it's a smart contract that facilitates transferring one cryptocurrency with another. Uh, More often than not, they're using tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. So it's all in Ethereum. They're just these separate tokens that aren't the Ether coins. They're something else that was maybe developed by a different um, blockchain uh, smart contract. But long story short, you might want to change like, exchange bit or ethereum for like man i don't even know the name of half of these stupid tokens or coins like usdc or comp or ball or yfi like all these weird little tokens you can transfer between each other through these distributed financial systems and how they differ from like real life as i would call it is normally like if i go to a bank or a uh what's that that place that's in all the malls and airports to change like pesos to us dollars Um, currency exchange whatever it's called anyways normally you go to one of those there's a human there you hand them $100 they verify that you've given them $100 and based off the exchange rate they'll give you the correct amount of like euros or pounds or pesos or whatever minus a horrible huge amount of fees yes correct Um, but there's a human involved there. And so when you go to like a bank and get a loan, there's a human involved there and they decide whether or not you get the loan. Now they probably use a lot of automated systems to figure out if you qualify, if you'd be able to repay back that loan, but it still comes down to a human saying yes or no to you getting that money or opening that account or making that transfer or whatever. So there's a lot of room for uh, humans to potentially like give leeway. There's a lot of room for humans to block someone that they don't want. There's just a lot of room for humans involved in that. Uh, DeFi, on the other hand, is all controlled by the code on these smart contracts, where a programmer has programmed this contract to work in a very specific way, where let's say I want to trade ETH for uh, the ball coin or something, BAL. It knows, okay, Ethereum is worth this much US dollars, and the other one's worth this much US dollars. And so through the smart contract and this kind of price oracle in there, it will let me exchange that amount of one coin for another, all through the contract, all without a human in there approving anything or disapproving anything. Like at the short of it, it sounds like interesting. You know, maybe this is the future of financial transactions. Just get the humans out of it and let the computers do it. By the way, I will say in general, one of
1: the reasons Ethereum is, I, I still don't believe it's going to be the the money of choice, is, is cool is it's based on code making applications in it and smart contracts but i'm sorry the devil's in the detail when when your entire concept of cryptocurrency is around cryptography that that same complexity that we find so neat that same new thing it opens up exactly what i'm sure you're going to get to now there's implementation issues programming issues and smart contracts it everything that uh, that allows vulnerabilities and software now can be extended to the the secure cryptographically perfect situation where we exchange money so it's funny how the neat thing of these smart contracts are also kind of
0: the weakness yeah because there's no such thing as a program without bugs basically eventually there's there's some slip up in there unless you know it's like a hello world app that literally does nothing and the benefit of a traditional financial system at a bank is that if there's a mistake, you have a chance of catching it and having a human go and reverse it or having law enforcement go track down the human involved and potentially recovering it that way. With a blockchain with these contracts that are literally just code, there's in general no mechanism to reverse it all. In fact, part of the selling point of a blockchain, yeah, it's immutable. You cannot change it. Now, that said, there are some like mechanisms in these like timeout periods and like rollback protocols and stuff. But in general, like if they found the correct bug, they can get past a lot of those. And there's no way through the like Ethereum blockchain itself to just roll it back and say, nope, sorry. Not without like breaking the whole blockchain. Unless someone wants to to
1: fork like they've done many times before, which is why I don't (laughs) get why people trust cryptocurrency. This is immutable. Until we decide it's not because the majority
0: voted one way and everyone else is losers. Yes. Anyways, uh, so that's DeFi, basically a financial system without humans all controlled through a code. Flash loans are this new thing from just the past couple of years where it's basically a way for you to borrow money or borrow Ethereum or a cryptocurrency uh, through the smart contract without giving up any collateral. I don't need to like put my house or my car keys up in order to get money from this with the one caveat that I have to pay back all of the money and potentially a fee uh, within a single transaction. So within one transaction, one call, I push out to the blockchain, it has to go through a series of steps of borrowing the money, doing whatever I want with the money, and then returning all of it at that in that exact same transaction. And if it's not able to do that, the transaction doesn't clear, and none of that actually happens. It's kind of this weird like time twister's being able to roll every, everything back if you can't do it all in one single transaction. And it sounds complicated, but there's actually a pretty easy way to explain like how this works and why someone might want to do this. Uh, so there are multiple cryptocurrency exchanges out there on the Ethereum blockchain. There's probably thousands at this point. And not all of them have the same value uh, assessments of different tokens out there. So on Ethereum, there's this concept of altcoins or alternative coins or tokens where basically they're created by other smart contracts and they might actually have some monetary value. Um, and so let's say uh, exchange um, Mark says that this one token's worth a dollar, and exchange Corey says it's actually worth two dollars. Well, me as the smart entrepreneur I am might go buy a thousand of this token from the Mark Exchange for a thousand dollars and then sell it to the Corey Exchange for two thousand dollars. And I've just made a thousand dollars profit. But let's say I don't have a thousand dollars to go buy it from that first exchange. That's where these flash loans come in, where I can borrow money from uh, Cream or somewhere else, use that money to purchase tokens off one exchange, sell it on another get that money plus a little profit back and then return it to cream all in one single uh, transaction cryptocurrency version of shorting a stock <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, that's it's more like uh arbitrage i guess um where it, i mean it's, it, it is exactly arbitrage like this happens in real life all the time you see it on like people buying crap off of like trader joe's and then selling it on ebay in places that don't have trader joe's you see uh like all over the place basically And it's just now it's reached a cryptocurrency and now there's systems and financial loans to kind of facilitate it. Where if you think that there's a way for you to get money, you can run this transaction, borrow all the money, make your profit, and then return it all back. And boom, you just basically netted a decent chunk of profit for really no investment, at least monetarily, on your end at all. So uh, an an attacker exploited a bug in Cream's Flash Loan smart contract that basically allowed them to drain the funds without full repayment. Now, typically these bugs involve tricking the contract into thinking you'd paid back the loan. Uh, Historically, a few times this has happened by artificially increasing the value of one of these loan compatible coins. So like through just the single transaction, you're able to borrow a thousand coins that it thinks are worth a buck each. During your transaction, you've made it so that coin is now worth two bucks. And so when you sell it back, you only sell back half. And you basically keep half, they end up with half the coins they used to have, but they think it's the exact same U.S. dollar value from the start of that transaction. That's usually how it goes. Uh, long story short, in this one, the attacker kind of found a way to manipulate, again, the price oracle, as it's called, uh, for Cream Finance, which is basically this small little algorithm for how they decide how much each coin is worth. And they did that by minting some coins and moving them around and re them back. It was actually a pretty massive transaction. It was like 69 different calls in there. And it ended up costing them $36,000 in just transaction fees uh, to run this transaction through the Ethereum network. Like it's not free to send in a transaction on Ethereum. In general, like me sending a coin to Corey is going to cost me a fraction of a cent, but some of these more complicated ones really add up. And this attack, if you would call it that, is 36,000. And why I say, if you would call it that, is because in reality, they used this smart contract exactly the way, the it, way was it was written. It was designed. Yeah. yeah. And it's just the way they designed it didn't take into account this kind of retrading coins back to inflate the value of some of the other tokens they had in there. So it's one of those where it is. Like I would still label it as hacking. It is obviously it's going against the spirit of the system. It is them draining money out of in a way that wasn't expected. But this is one of those things where they're smart contracts. It's like an under contract law. Like that's the way it was written. And you're not like hacking into their system and stealing a private key and signing a a transaction like that. You're literally just making the function calls that were there. Is this hacking? Is this illegal? It's way, this is why more. i
1: don't trust uh you know libertarians would say the whole idea of uh, cryptocurrency is decentralizing money since money's a virtual concept anyways but i always say sure but you're going to end up with the wild west which is this when you decentralize no one that you know you can trust is in charge of anything it's literally the wild west and like you say the smart contract was made that way It's probably not illegal you know but you put your trust in a decentralized system that does not have a figure in charge of it good luck and i know we all disagree with oh we can't trust the government we can't trust a physical resource but the truth is i'm sorry i i I trust the government over everyone else in the world who will be bad actors and good actors. And if you have no one that's in charge of a system, I, I don't see how you can design a system that's foolproof but has no centralized trust factor to it. So I, I, I love the utopian idea of a decentralized currency and I love the idea of getting banks and. but I just think ultimately for a fiat currency to work, there has to be a controller that's trustworthy enough for us to put our risk in these sorts of systems, because from the outside world, crypto exchanges get hacked every hour, every day,
0: to sure, the tune of a some, ton of money. Also, yeah, like this isn't and even then, the sure, first attack. Some people successful. are getting
1: rich, but you're getting rich off a resource that doesn't yet have as much real value as normal money does in the real world.
0: This isn't even the first successful attack against Cream. Like they lost twenty-three okay, yeah, million in August, 37, thirty-seven million in, in February. February. Like, yeah. holy cow! This is a huge amount of money just getting stolen because of computer bugs, and still they're again like 1.8 billion or something like that. That's the last number I saw for the total value of assets value in the It's yeah. insane. Yeah, it makes me feel like I really should get back into cryptocurrency security.
1: Yeah. By the way, you you can profit off of cryptocurrency. I'm not saying you can't make money off it, but it's it's more gambling and taking advantage of the system rather than something I think I want to put my savings
0: into. (laughs) It's nuts. And like like you said, it's it's really difficult to put trust in these systems when there is no way to fix it if an issue goes wrong. Like if this had happened and like someone abused the systems of a normal financial institution, like yes, in some cases a wire transfer is difficult to reverse. But like, you've got actual banks, actual regulatory agencies that are potentially capable of recovering some of those funds. In this case, it's gone. You cannot get it back out of that contract. You cannot get it back out of that wallet.
1: And by the way, uh, I'm also not saying that cryptocurrency will become a thing. I just think the ones that will win out in the long term will be centralized cryptocurrencies that are under control of some institution of some sort what was that um, one? otherwise it's facebook just... is i'm sorry not facebook uh
0: meta is meta. trying to make.
1: <laughs> yeah another news that came out when we recorded this is apparently facebook is not facebook anymore
0: that's right so it was libra now it's dm they changed the name of that one too yeah people having
1: to rebrand because <laughs> their previous name didn't do well Anyways, this is very interesting. I do think it's interesting, and I definitely like like you say. I think it's very interesting, to consider that the smart contract technically is working exactly as intended. Maybe it was unintentional by the developer, but it's a uh, since there is no legal authority over yeah you know a, a decentralized Ethereum that I know of. I, I think you're it sol might be hard to recover <laughs> yeah
0: and. Yeah, like you mentioned, these hacks are happening seemingly like every week now, and it's literally to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars. Like it is absolutely the wild west with huge amounts of money being thrown around and lost in it.
1: To be fair, like the technology part of this, I love. I I'm sad for the general public that are throwing their money into this, and there's not going to be a lot. There's going to be winners, people that pay attention to this, like any gambling market or even the stock market, day traders can make off with money whether or not the businesses they're financing are profitable or not. Uh, so there will be winners in this. I just feel like uh, the, there's gonna be a lot of losers that fund those winners. And But I actually think if, if you took out public people throwing their money into this, All the different currencies, the experimentation, the trying different ideas, Ethereum using smart con, this is all very healthy from a technological level because I do truly believe there will be a concept of cryptocurrency that does become a standard in the future. I, I believe that strongly. I think the libertarian idea that it will be totally decentralized is, is just something that won't work in the real world. But I believe all the technologies that are being experimented with and are suffering a lot of problems because we're in the infancy of this, despite it being around since, I guess, 2009, I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, so it's it's a healthy technological discovery, despite all these flaws. It's just too bad there's a lot of people... Losing money in systems because they're they're adopting a technology that I think is is still a little too much in its infancy for the general public.
0: Like I think I've made my mind on this matter pretty clear historically on this podcast, but like again, my thoughts are basically like blockchain technology is awesome and it has a lot of yeah. potentially very useful uses, but everything that is out right now is the infancy it's not the thing that's going to be around like bitcoin being the first doesn't make it the best it's bloated it's expensive in it's fact it's slow. likely the worst All yeah, the new exactly. ones solve
1: a lot of problems it's it's been solving over time
0: ethereum for as awesome as it is in terms of its technology has a ton of problems some of which may be insurmountable like transaction fees are getting out of control they've gone up 10 times in just the last year like in order for this to work, there's a lot of issues that need to be solved, and I don't think that the ones that exist today are going to be the ultimate like de facto standard of the future. So, yes, you'll probably you potentially could get a lot of money out of this, but someone's going to be left holding the bag once one of these folds yep. and another one comes to replace it. And I mean personally, that's outside my risk appetite, so that's why I'm not quote unquote. Invested. It's, it's it's
1: fun to play with, but I recommend if you do it. Be day. Don't do long term. Do day trading. <laughs> you know, uh, but, Corey's but recommendation: again, the, day trade <laughs> uh, for cryptocurrency. Like I, total opposite, by the way, of a lot of my stock market long term mutual fund beliefs. I, 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 you know, I might day trade if, uh, with a little bit of money to diversify, but uh, cryptocurrency is too volatile, in my opinion. So it's not a long term hold type of thing to me because lots of the cryptocurrencies are going to be gone. <laughs> eventually and there might be one person that cashed out right before it happened and there'll be tens of thousands of people that (laughs) were the ones that bought when he or she cashed out so uh it's i i all the power to the people that are are finding ways to make money from it i just don't i don't eh, be careful i i think it's a technology and an idea that's going to become
0: the future i just uh, i don't buy into the hype yet and until then, I feel like I need to dust off my gloves and get into some bug bounties for some of these programs because there's a lot of money yeah. to be made in those, I bet.
1: Although it sucks that the dark side is more attractive, right? You might make $2 million on a bug bounty, but you probably could have found this and made $130 on <laughs> exploiting this badly smart did. contract i'm kidding <laughs> i know you wouldn't be talking to me
0: right now you'd be <laughs> starting some new business off in hawaii i would be like on a beach in croatia right actually it's pretty cold in croatia right now i imagine i'd be on a beach somewhere warm right now but <laughs> it's it's nuts it's so much money in all this and it definitely feels like the training wheels are still quite a bit wobbly in the it's whole neat system,
1: though so. i i mean the positive side is it takes human risk in order to do things like reach the moon. So I am and crypto dodge coin to the moon, man. Uh, you guys can keep experimenting, and I, I will wait and use the very cool product that comes out a decade from now.
0: And until then, I will hold on to my crypto kitties and yeah, whatever. <laughs> if Stupid I had Bitcoin,
1: stuff. I'd definitely be selling them
0: man i still i feel like i do have a hard drive somewhere with a couple of bitcoin on it from way the heck back in the day i know i have three but i know it's a thrown away usb
1: key it probably went in the garbage around the same period my wife threw away all my 3.5 floppy disks it's literally from like 2019 2010 man oh it was back when a pizza probably would have cost Twelve Bitcoin. If you could even find a place that knew what that meant, <laughs> people were transacting Bitcoin with each other, but you could not buy anything at all with it.
0: it Many. It's amazing how far we've come since then, and still, it, it really feels like we're in the infancy of all this. Yep. But I don't cool. Know, whatever. Oh, neat Shiba. story. <laughs> is that a new dog? One Shiba Inu. I think that's the actual what? Not ticker symbol, but uh sheep coin isn't it huh uh it's gone up 60 million percent in the last year oh goodness yeah it's great man i still can't uh,
1: believe dogecoin is coin is
0: worth anything considering it started purely as a joke i'm sorry uh i'm out of date on that one it's got up 84 million percent
1: and oh, 84 just the last million year percent yeah a little bit of growth <laughs> maybe they maybe they'll do better next year this is happy. This Where's a... my trillion percent growth? Until it's trillions, I don't
0: care. What a what a healthy system! <laughs> Yay! Oy vey. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at x o r r o underscore. Corey is at SECADEPT, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next Mm, Hashtags. Let's use
1: them everywhere. I love those hashtags. I think we should only communicate in hashtags and acronyms.
0: (laughs) No.